Just because you've seen it online doesn't make it true. But when it comes to fake news, there's a lot to think about, especially if you're a business with your entire reputation at stake. We're talking about this and more today with some behavioral science experts. Welcome to episode 54 of Sideload. Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Jermaine Dallas and today we're tackling an issue that's proving to be a difficult one to shift from society and that's disinformation. Whether it's COVID-19, local and national elections, the environment, there's a deluge of information both good and bad to wade through and find the truth. But what even is the truth anymore? Are we happy to be led by cold, hard facts or can we be content with our own version of reality? And what can brands and behavioral science do to counter the fake news that lives online? Well, hopefully our experts today will point us in the right direction. Anjali Betty is Edelman's Global Head of Behavioural Science. You may remember from episode 42 that Anjali has worked with Hollywood Studios on major data-related projects. Micah Wolf is Global Behavioural Strategy Lead. She deals with turning human intelligence into actionable insights. She started her career in the Dutch Ministry of Defence, working with intelligence and strategic comms. And Daria Bakina is the Global Social Psychology Lead at Edelman. She has a PhD and is a former social psychology professor. That's before we brought her over to the dark side at Edelman to do some corporate work instead. So... Um, Micah, Daria, um, Anjali, thanks so much for joining us on Sideload. Thank, Thank you, Jermaine. Good to be thanks. here. So, um, Anjali, let's start with you. Who's generating this type of misinformation and where and why? It's it's a big question you asked, Jermaine, and it's a long answer, but the short That's of it I'm is... Here. Excellent. <laughs> It, it really varies depending on the intent of the actor. So we see it with sort of broader misinformation, which could be everything from um, chips in bras, for example, to um, accusing a CEO of being involved in a pedophilia network by QAnon, for example. There's so many different forms that this takes. And the unfortunate reality is that everyone is susceptible to believing misinformation and therefore is susceptible to sharing it. And I dare say that perhaps many of us uh, listening to this podcast and you know, even including those of us on this podcast, we've all been guilty of that because it's very difficult to distinguish what is actually misinformation from what is the truth. Uh, that whole concept of truthiness, that the, the best lies have a, a degree of truth in them. And it's very difficult to distinguish truth from, from fiction. Uh, and that's part of the, the challenge of misinformation. Uh, with this information, it's a bit more specific because you're looking at a context in which a particular entity is trying to commit harm or to hurt the reputation of another entity intentionally. And that intent is a, a key factor uh, when looking at disinformation. So you can see everything, everyone from, let's say, entities like QAnon, for example, who launch disinformation campaigns to, to state actors. Um, 
you know, like the, I mean, the Americans are, are certainly involved in disinformation campaigns, as are the Russians, the Chinese, etc. I think all governments, to to some extent, certainly have had uh, their hands in uh, disinformation campaigns in different contexts, and for for different reasons, and even companies as well. So I think the the challenge and both the interesting thing when looking at misinformation and disinformation is to look at it holistically and to remember that it's everywhere around us and that we have to think about it from a, a 360 view because of that. Sure. So so um, it is the intent that is the differentiator between misinformation and disinformation. I just want to clarify that. Yes, correct. Okay, cool. So, um, Micah, over to you. What, what impact does all of this have on businesses and, and why should clients care as well? I think clients should be uh, be caring and should be very wary of it as well. Like Anjali just mentioned, it it is everywhere. Uh, the the rapid spread of information online that is often described as as viral, um, but it's also important to realize that the online space is becoming not only competitive but also adversarial. And so, with that in mind, that actual weaponization of information, rather than continue uh, as we have uh, in approaches to, to mis- and disinformation, we are somehow always fooled into attempting to treat symptoms uh, without ever attempting to diagnose what the actual root of the problem is. So, brands also rarely invest in or, or conduct an actual health check to see where their vulnerabilities are, whilst um, at the same time, social platforms are fracturing. Um, adding complexity to our actual awareness um, of what is going on. So this leaves brands and companies exposed, but also constantly on the defensive um, with this hope of seizing the initiative. And that's always what you want, right? Also in your strategic planning is to be ahead of that curve. And we've seen this for several clients over, over the last year. But we must also remember that the tools and approaches that we use um, online have been designed by engineers and not by social scientists. So that is why um, at Edelman, the behavioral science approach, encompassing that understanding of culture, uh, tribal dynamics, ideology, but also normative behaviors or history are actually essential in partnering with with the latest in cutting edge technologies, such as machine learning or artificial intelligence. So it enables us to map the risk and also grasp uh, the overall intent and objective of the people behind spreading a mis or disinformation, uh, whether it's intentional or not. Uh, for this, we'll, we'll afford you greater options in, in your response. And I, I want to drill, um, you mentioned about the fragmentation of media platforms. We'll get to that later on in, in, the, in the podcast. But I want to ask you about um, the effects on everyday consumers as well as the businesses. How is it impacting them? Yeah, this is this is about forming opinions huh, and forming belief systems, which which Dario will speak of a little bit uh, um, as well. Um, I, I think uh, this involves everybody because you can be the CEO of a big company, but you're also a father at the same time. And whether you spread or consume uh, uh, misinformation intentionally or not, it does contribute to forming your opinion. So as Anjali just said, it is everywhere. It's it's a systems approach. Uh, it's a systemic problem. So it involves everybody, not just brands and consumers, but also vice versa. Yeah. Well, let's 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 bring Daria in then. So if if misinformation thrives on our own beliefs, it, it must be difficult to stop it taking root, right? 
Absolutely. And the, the short answer here is yes. Um, but the longer answer is that, um, you know, human beings, the way that we process information, the way that we form our kind of selves is very complex. Um, and I think when we're talking about misinformation, we need to look at both sides. Um, at its core, misinformation is a persuasion tactic. Uh, these entities and groups are trying to get uh, uh, us to believe something that they want us to believe. And uh, this feeds into the way that human beings process information and process persuasive communication specifically. Um, and it all goes back to how we form who we are and our belief systems. Um, and uh, this is why beliefs are often very difficult to change because these are very uh, deep seated uh, thoughts and opinions that have been formed over our entire lifetimes. Um, and if we look at the environment that we operate in today, um, as Mike alluded to, there's the sheer amount of information that we have to process um, is just uh, overwhelming to us. And human beings at their core are cognitive misers, meaning that we uh, like to use as uh, little cognitive resources as possible when we're moving through our environment. And most of the time that works really well for us because we can kind of make these day-to-day -day decisions that we need to make very efficiently and effectively. But when you pair that uh, with the sheer amount of information that we have to process and we have to parse out what's true and what's not true, um, we, we kind of fail at this. And, um, you know, we, we see a lot of people being susceptible to misinformation and disinformation. And it all kind of goes back to this, lots of uh, information to process. We rely on shortcuts and mental efficiencies to understand what we should focus on and what we shouldn't. Um, and oftentimes this leads us to pay attention to information that we already believe or is aligned with uh, our beliefs or our groups. So is what is it that makes certain people particularly vulnerable to being uh, misinformed? If that is the case, are specific people more vulnerable than others? I think it really depends on the misinformation or disinformation that is kind of out there. Um, but I, it also goes back to what you personally believe and those belief systems that you hold. Um, and often we see that being really tied into uh, your group identity and uh, where you get your self-esteem from. All of us like to belong to groups and our um, you know, identities and ourselves are formed by these uh, social affiliations. And if we're seeing misinformation or disinformation come from people who are similar to ourselves or belong to our groups, that makes it automatically more persuasive to us. And we're more susceptible uh, because it is coming from our kind of in-group versus an out-group. Exactly. So every year, um, as um, us at Edelman know, but just for those that, that don't, um, every year we produce the Trust Barometer, which is um, a, a, a sort of a survey which um, surveys people from around the world and asks them the extent to which they trust um, organisations and institutions. And this year there's, there's, there's been a point towards a decline in trust in institutions. So how does that impact the spread of misinformation and the ability to control it, uh, Micah? 
Well, I think the answer to that is twofold. Huh? It is a matter of, of source credibility. So, so who is who is combating it and are they actually a credible source for audiences to listen to? But also um, a responsibility issue because clearly the issue is larger than, than any one nation or just a single private company or, or brand. But um, as Edelman, uh, uh, the Trust Barometer has also told us, um, business is viewed globally as the most competent institution to solve societal problems. And it's also increasingly viewed as having an ethical responsibility to do so. And we've seen that a lot. Audiences also ask that of brands. So that would also mean that it's now time that the private sector acknowledges and takes up a responsibility to combat disinformation not just as a reputational risk for corporations, but also as an actual societal problem and societal harm. So, yeah, if you ask me what must businesses do to become part of that solution, uh, I think it's, it's actually to understand where the private sector can be effective in combating uh, disinformation. So it's important for us to understand that disinformation campaigns are often coordinated by very sophisticated actors, and like any organized structure, their behaviors often fall into very repeatable patterns that provide us an opportunity to actually disrupt uh, those efforts. But in order to accomplish that task, the private sector has to leverage tools and strategies which are as flexible as inventive as, as those they seek to uh, seek to undo. And that means this this moves out of the office of just the communications officer. This this goes into operational and financial risk, but also reputation or heads of risk. So this is this is all across the board, um, and everybody needs to contribute because of that societal harm that that it causes. Well, how can we um, educate and support audiences to spot this fake news? We're going to ask that question shortly. But first, let's take a peek backwards at episode 53, where we discussed technology and creative bravery. I'm a big believer in, in um, design. I think design can really bring creative ideas to, to life. I think coffee can bring creative ideas to life. Um, but I think technology, you know, can bring experiences to life, right? So, you know, um, we created the world's first um, texting switchboard, right? Between individuals, you know, across the world. That was enabled through technology. Um, so I think, you know, yes, it was cinch technology that we were we were using, our conversational platform. Um, um, but I think that's what gives excitement. It's not just another landing page, or it's not just another, you know, image, or it's not just another video asset. It is actually an experience. And I think that's what technology brings. It, you, you can create experiences. You're listening to Sideload, and today we're talking about misinformation, disinformation, and how to deal with it. Edelman's Anjali Betty, Michael Wolf, and Daria Bakina are on the panel. So, um, Anjali, let, let's go back to you. Um, we, we mentioned it earlier on about the, this decentralization of media. There's just so many platforms now, so many ways where we're, we're getting our information from. So um, how does that impact the spread of misinformation? It's incredibly impactful. And I think what's what's interesting, if you look at the media landscape over the last 10 years, there was a point at which we almost sort of celebrated the whole decentralization of media and referred to it as the democratization of media, where individual participants 
could actually share their voice. And uh, that was that was quite a, a powerful phenomena, especially if you look at it within the context of larger events like the Arab Spring, for example. But I think there there are two sides to to every coin, and certainly with the the de- democratization of media, there's also the the challenge of what voices are accurate, are relevant, uh, and are truthful and knowledgeable about specific topics, and especially with things like vaccine hesitance, for example. Um, so when we think about that that de- decentralization challenge. Um, we're, we're looking across a range of different platforms and for everything from more mainstream platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, to, to even some of the more fringe platforms like in the US in particular, like 4chan, 8chan, Parler, and so on. And so what those the decentralization of those platforms has done is basically create a, a environment where more fringe narratives uh, and misinformation and disinformation can find a home and an audience almost anywhere on the web. Um, and certainly those narratives sort of pick up speed and, and gain audience traction as they're spreading from platform to platform and garnering a larger audience. Um, what's interesting, actually, and this is sort of a, a misconception in this space, um, is that disinformation only lives on the dark web or on fringe networks. And that actually isn't the case. It actually lives in, oftentimes in, in more mainstream platforms, like that maybe deeper, deeper reddits and subreddits than you know, it does on, let's say, a parlor. So part of the challenge is with so many different sources, A, understanding how those narratives are evolving as they move from platform to platform, but also then understanding which audience is going to be more susceptible to believing that disinformation or misinformation and acting upon that. But certainly it's much uh, easier for these narratives to find a, a broader audience uh, because of that, that fragmentation of media and of platforms that we've seen over the last 10 years. Um, is there is there anything, uh, Michael? I, I know you mentioned some of the things already, but is is there anything else that businesses can do to immunize against potential campaigns um, before they take place? Um, for example, is it possible to build resilience within within these online communities? Um, yes, yes, there is. I think there is. So that means looking at analytics and how analytics support strategic decision making from from a different perspective and adding that behavioral science uh, lens, um, if you will. Um, like I mentioned, our disinformation efforts usually evolve around different uh, societal issues, whether they're political, social or economical. And this is why monitoring it with, with that behavioral science lens is of such great importance to be ahead of that curve and to support strategic decision-making processes, to move away from just being situationally aware to being situationally understanding, understanding what is going on and how you can shield yourself against it, guard yourself against that. So um, for people who are just, just coming coming in and may not be um, across all the, the terms around behavioral science, what's what? What are the, the key tenets of behavioral science that, that people need to be looking at in terms of using it to, to um, deal with, uh, with misinformation? Um, um, because this is about what Daria mentioned before. This is understanding human nature. It's inherently human to believe something. It's inherently human to share something. 
it is inherently human to actually act upon something. And that's driven in, in very strong um, uh, psychological drivers. So that's why we're such a strong advocate of using that behavioral science lens, because in the end, whether or not you're going to believe or disseminate mis or disinformation is what makes us inherently human. Exactly. So, Daria, um, how, how can we educate or support audiences into adapting better media literacy? It's a great question. And I think that um, there's lots of ways that we should address this and, and uh, help audiences recognize uh, misinformation and disinformation. I think for a lot of us, we realize that this is out there, uh, but it's very difficult to discern what is true and what is false. And I think the fractured media environment that Anjali uh, described earlier actually makes it much harder to cross-check information and determine what the source is. I think also the polarized environment that we have um, uh, where people are very kind of entrenched is reinforced by the fractured media environment, social media environment, uh, where we... Uh, doubt or disbelieve um, any information that's coming from uh, what we perceive to be the outgroup. So I think in order for uh, audiences, consumers, people in general uh, to understand what misinformation and disinformation is, uh, we need to take a multi-pronged approach. One is uh, calling out the fact that misinformation and disinformation exists. Uh, providing people examples of what misinformation and disinformation can look like. Uh, uh, there's inoculation theory where we can provide very specific messages um, and tell people, you might see this in the environment, uh, and this is how we recognize that it's uh, not true or, or fake information. We also have to take a look at source credibility and what is perceived as a credible source versus what is an actual credible source. Um, and so for different people based on their group affiliations, uh, we can see uh, true credible sources like uh, Dr. Fauci, for example, uh, being uh, you know, perceived as a not so credible source for some groups. So I think um, it's really getting to the root of how beliefs are formed um, can also help. Uh, to really understand and to um, address those beliefs and help people kind of recognize what's true and what's not. And um, final question, I'm going to put this out to all three of you, actually. Are tech companies doing enough in this space and, and how could we support them, if indeed we, we should support them? So I think uh, tech companies... They're in an interesting position. Their sort of ethos, if you will, is the whole idea of democratization of information. And certainly that's something that Google has been quite adamant about historically. The, the challenge, though, is that when you are sort of the, the, the primary entity by which people are accessing information, they're accessing that information that can actually be wrong and damaging to society. And certainly we've seen that you know, over the last 10 years and the effects that that's had, uh, both politically, economically, socially, um, and even from a public health perspective. So tech companies absolutely need to be doing more and to be quite vigilant in the way that they are flagging misinformation and disinformation narratives. Um, additionally, and this is sort of an interesting dynamic with tech companies, is that it is very difficult 
to algorithmically distinguish misinformation from disinformation, given that intent is a, a key factor within that. But interestingly, the tech companies out of any other sort of stakeholder in society are the best positioned to do that. That, of course, requires quite a bit of investment, but something that I would hope that all of the tech companies, particularly Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Reddit, and so on, are uh, are actively pursuing. Um, and I think there is quite a bit of, of supports that we can provide those sorts of entities, uh, particularly in the way that we think about uh, disinformation, how it's spread, who's susceptible to believe it. Um, it really requires a behavioral science approach uh, and thinking holistically about human beings and human behavior to tackle this issue. And automation is not, we can't automate our way out of this. So it really requires the combination of human insight and human intelligence with machine learning, predictive intelligence and AI in order to, to combat this effectively. So, uh, long answer long, uh, I do think the tech companies are, are, trying to, to address this issue, but there's certainly uh, a lot more that they could be doing and we are in a position where we could support. Micah? Yeah, I would have to fully agree with, with um, Anjali on that one, but also bringing up something um, uh, like that's more of a moral and ethical discussion is simply encouraging people to, to critically evaluate the information they consume or as they read it, that, that can reduce the likelihood of, of taking in inaccurate information. But in the end, uh, you refer to it, Jermaine, uh, as, as truthiness. What, what is the truth? That in the end is about belief systems. It gives me uh, sometimes a very dystopian view of who, who determines what is the truth, who should determine what I should believe or not. So, yes, there's a technical solution, but there's actually a really big moral and ethical discussion to have as well because... That will bring us into very dystopian scenarios on who tells me what I should believe or not believe. Uh, but it is important for us to understand and realize that there are people or groups of people that have different beliefs than, than we have. And understanding that uh, and, and understanding them and understanding that context that, that those groups uh, live in and operate in, uh, that's the most fundamental thing to, to start with. Yeah, fundamental. And finally, uh, your opinion, Daria, on this one? Sure. Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot that is being done currently, um, but definitely uh, more should be done. Um, and I think one of the things that I would advocate for is going beyond fact-checking or adding uh, data to support uh, kind of the counter view of these um, misinformation, disinformation um, you know, narratives. So we know that for most people who recognize misinformation and disinformation, they can tell you why it's misinformation and disinformation, but the false belief continues to persist, even in light of disconfirming evidence. Um, so that kind of goes back to the need to address the emotional um, and the belief root system uh, to really understand why people believe what they believe. Um, and I think to Anjali and Micah's point, that is kind of the really tough um, to, nut to crack or the, the biggest piece that we should unlock in order to help um, combat 
uh, misinformation and disinformation and really arm audiences with the knowledge that they need to not believe it. Anjali, Micah, Daria, thanks so much for joining us on the show. And a big thanks to you for listening to this episode of Sideload. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your favourite podcast player. Just search Edelman UK. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. See you next time. <laughs>